Good morning, Lakeview Church. Thanks for the happy birthday wishes. So my uncle was texting me just a few minutes ago. He was adding years to my life that are not there yet. I was like, let's slow down there, big guy. So, um, but so thankful for uh, just how God has blessed in this last year. Looking forward to the next year that is ahead and uh, just excited to share with you this morning. I wanted to just take an opportunity to welcome you. I know you've already been welcomed to this service, but want to welcome you, those who are here in the room and those who are joining us online. Thank you so much for gathering with us uh, this Sunday for worship. We're glad that you're here. At the end of the sermon, I particularly want to talk to those of you online right now. At the end of this message, we're going to move into a time of communion. So if you have elements at home, whether that is uh, crackers or bread, you've got some juice, I would like to just encourage you to get those elements ready, and we will invite you to participate with us as we celebrate communion. Uh, So we hope that you'll join us in that at the end of this message. Uh, We are in the middle of a series called The Blessed Life, and this is a series where we've been asking a different question each week. So we started the series uh, back at the beginning of the month, and we asked the question then, which ship are you sailing? And we talked about ownership, and we talked about stewardship. We said the reality is, is that as Christians, one of the primary things that we need to understand in our lives is that we are not the owners, God is the owner. He's the creator and owner of all that is. So we are not the owners. Instead, we are stewards. We are managers of that which God has entrusted to our care. And we talked about the fact that our job is to take this one and only life that we've been given, everything that we are and everything that we have, and manage it in ways that honor God that exalt him and lift him up and advance his purposes in the world. And if we do that, When we get to the end of our lives, we will hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so we talked about the importance of kind of adopting the stewardship perspective. Last week, we asked the question, how much time is left? And we talked about the fact that time is running out. While we don't know how much time we have left, we know that it's less time this week than we had last week. Time is getting short, which means we have to manage the clock better with a sense of urgency and with a sense of intentionality. And we talked about four areas where we need to manage the clock better. We need to take care of ourselves so that we have every ounce of energy and capacity that God intends for us to have to do what he's put us here to do. We talked about the fact that we need to take care of our spiritual lives We need to invest in spiritual formation, to be in prayer and in the scriptures. We need to stay connected to Christian community, to not give up meeting together. And I know that there are probably more joining us online today than uh, there were last week because just the cases are going up. We love COVID, don't we? It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But more of you are joining online, but here's the point you're joining Do not give up meeting together even if there is a pandemic. Do not give up meeting together. And I'm so thankful for technology which allows those of us here in the room to also be connected to those who are at home today so that we can still gather together as the people of God. We cannot give up meeting together and we cannot 
forget that we are called to invest in missional relationships outside of the church to go and reach people for God and his name. Today, I want to ask another question. And the question for today is, where is your heart? Where is your heart? Jesus himself, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching about giving, about our financial resources, and he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on this earth, because moth and rust, they destroy here on this earth. But you can store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. And then Jesus dropped this important principle in his teaching for us today. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when we think about the question, where is your heart? And you think about how to answer that question. The question is, where is your heart? The answer is found in where is your treasure? Because you invest in what you love. So if you want to know who or what you love most, look at what you invest your treasure in the most. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, as we're walking through this series, a stewardship series, I knew, and you did too, most of you, that we would talk about money at some point, right? And I know that that was a great spot for an amen. But none of you were tracking. It's okay. I get it. I get it. Right? But we got to talk about money because guess what? If everything is created and owned by God, that includes your financial and physical resources. God owns those too. Thank you, Lane. You're, I just, you're, my estimation of you just went, <laughs> just went up. It's pretty easy to get on my good side. Just say amen every once in a while, and man, we're going to get along great. God owns it all, including our financial and our physical resources, so we got to talk about money. Now, some of you are thinking this next thought. I've been around churches long enough to know this thought runs through people's minds. Here we go. All the church wants is my money. Now, I can't speak for other churches, but I can speak for this one. So I want everybody to look up here because I want to look you in the eye when I say this. We do not want your money. We do not want your money. When we talk about money from this platform, when it's, when it's us talking about the scriptural principles about money, I just want you to know, if we're talking about what we want from you, we're doing it wrong. God does not invite us to learn about how to give because he wants something from us. Just as a reminder, God doesn't need anything. He's got it all. And if he needs more, he can just make it. Right? He does not need our resources. So it's not about what he needs from us or wants from us. It is actually about what God wants for us. So today, I'm not talking to you about anything that I want from you. Because if I am, I'm doing it wrong. I'm talking about what God wants for you. 
And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because at the end of the day, what God wants for you is he wants you to discover the blessed life. And the blessed life is one where you are moving away from selfishness and and self-centeredness to this place of selflessness and servanthood. That's where the blessed life is found. The blessed life is found when you move away from the greed and the, the stinginess of the world and you start entering into giving and generosity. That's where the blessed life is found. Now, some of you are saying, really, does the Bible teach that? Acts chapter 20, verse 35, these are the words of Jesus himself recorded in the book of Acts, where Jesus himself taught us that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. You want to enter in to everything that God has for you. You want to enter in to what it means to be blessed and happy and fulfilled and contented in the way that God defines all of those terms. Learn how to move towards giving. Learn how to move towards a generous lifestyle. This is what God wants for you. And that's what we're going to talk about today in these few moments that we spend together. I know that you are all so excited. I can see it on your faces, the anticipation, the excitement of these next few moments. I can only imagine what your living room is like right now. For those of you at home, you are pumped about what's coming next. But just hang with me because I think it's really, really important for us to understand what God wants for us as it relates to our financial and our physical resources. Three principles that I want to talk to you about quickly today. The first one is that as Christians, we are called to good stewardship of our financial and physical resources. Now, this shouldn't surprise you because we've been talking about this all month, but just like our time, just like our talents, our treasure as well are the things that God wants us to manage well because they come from God. And so we must understand what it means to be good stewards of the financial resources and the physical resources that God has allowed to come into our lives. This is part of what it means to be a Christian. And when we talk about giving and we talk about generosity, what you need to understand is that giving and generosity is in fact a normal and essential part of the Christian life. It's part of what it means to be one of God's people that you know how to give, that you are learning how to be generous. This goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, right? From the earliest pages of Scripture, Cain and Abel, who don't even know how to get along with each other, both understand that they should give to the Lord. There's no no commandments have been written that they should do that. They just have some innate sense that whatever they've been able to produce... They should bring that to the Lord, and they do. We see this principle developing when we get to Genesis 14. Again, before God's people, Israel, have ever been formed, before the law's ever been given, before there's ever a tabernacle in the wilderness or a temple in Jerusalem, Abram, his name's not even Abraham yet. In Genesis 14, he's still Abram, and he's giving 10% of what he has to the priest. He goes to Melchizedek and gives a tenth. And this tenth develops throughout Scripture as something known as the tithe. And that tithe, that 10% of everything that we earn or produce, has become the minimum, the minimum standard of giving for God's people. It's not the end goal. 
God actually wants you to give more than 10%. We're going to talk about that later, so just relax. You have something to look forward to now. 10% is the minimum that God wants us to give. And it, we see it all throughout Scripture. It develops in the Old Testament as a command. Jesus talks about it in the New Testament. He actually says this is just the expectation that we would set aside the first 10% of everything that comes into our life and we would give that back to God. Now, what does this have to do with good stewardship? Well, here's the reality. The 100% belongs to God. Not the 10%. The 100% that comes into your life, it all belongs to God. To God. Why? Because God's the creator and owner of everything. So whatever you have belongs to God. Remember, we said at the very beginning of this series, possession is not ownership. You don't actually own anything. God owns it all. So you get 100% that comes into your life, and your practice as one of God's people is to take the first 10% and give it back to God. Why would you do that? Because it is a spiritual formation practice that actually shapes our souls. It reminds us when we give the 10% that I don't own any of it. We give back to God as a way of saying, God, I am reminded that before I do anything else with what you've entrusted to my care, I'm giving 10% percent back to you because you're the ultimate owner and I am just a steward. And I trust that by giving you the 10%, you're going to help me manage the 90% that still belongs to you better and effectively. And you're going to provide for every need and you're going to help me do what needs to be done with that 90%. We are called as Christians to practice good stewardship because we don't own our financial and our physical resources. God owns them. We give a 10 a tithe or 10% back to God as a way to remind ourselves he's the owner and we're the steward. Now, what do we do with the remaining 90%? Well, that leads me to the second principle. That as Christians, we're not just called to practice good stewardship by giving 10%. We're called to also practice good stewardship by actually engaging in sound management of our financial and physical resources. We're supposed to actually manage the other 90% well because that doesn't belong to us either. Some people think we give 10% to God because that belongs to him and then the 90, that's mine. No. The 100% belongs to God. You give 10% back to remind yourself of that and then you manage the other 90% that's left in your hands with that in mind, that God's the owner and you're the steward. So how should we manage our money well? Let me give you three or four things. First, take care of your stuff. Take care of your stuff. You've already used money that's come into your life to buy stuff. Take care of it. Clean it up. Fix it. Repair it. Maintain it. Take good care of it. Don't just use it and abuse it and throw it away and go buy another one. If you actually take care of your stuff, you make your money go farther. That's good management of your financial resources and your physical resources. Take care of your stuff. Secondly, live within your means. Now we're getting serious. Because our culture doesn't say live within your means. 
doesn't say that at all. Our culture says, you don't have the money to buy it? Don't worry. Use mine. Right? And so then we, we, we actually use these little plastic things and we swipe them and we get what we want now with someone else's money. And then we not only pay for the thing that we now possess, we pay for the money and the use of that money over time. That's just not very smart. So you got 90% left. Don't spend money you don't have. Don't spend money you don't have. Live within your means, which means you might actually need to cut back on a few things. Right? Just look at your expenses and say, is there any place where we could save some money? Is there any place where we could cut back? Could we call service providers and just ask for a better price? By the way, you should put that on your calendar to do every year because I do it and I actually get things lowered. Just call them and say, I want to pay less for that. And a lot of times they let you. It seems like bad, bad business, but I don't care. It's good for me. Right? Just call and ask. Say, I want to pay less for that and see what happens. Right? Because we need to live within our means. That is a sound biblical principle for managing our money. Live within our means. Third, save diligently and invest wisely. Right? Living within our means is about taking care of today, today. But when we save diligently and we invest wisely, we're actually starting to take care of tomorrow, today. That's a good practice. It's good management to set aside as much as we can on a regular basis to save for future needs so that we're providing for the future, right? That's good practice. And as you start to do those two things, live within your means and save for the future, guess what starts to happen? You can breathe. Some of you, when you think about money, you can't breathe. Right? You're just like overwhelmed by it and there's a constriction in your chest. Like this is the big one, right? <laughs> but when you, when you live within your means and you start saving for the future, guess what starts to happen? It's the thing called margin. And you can breathe. You should manage your money that way. And the reason you should do that is because it opens the door for the fourth thing, which is to give generously. What do you do with the margin? Do you just say, great, now we can do whatever we want and live however we want and have whatever we want? No. Not as one of God's people. The first thing we say when we have margin is, God, what do you want me to do with this? Because remember, he owns it all, including the margin. So sound money management in four short principles, right? Take care of your stuff. Live within your means. Save diligently and invest wisely. And give generously. John Wesley summarized his philosophy of money uh, in three principles. He's, he's better than I am. He said, earn all you can. Save all you can. And give all you can. It's this give all you can that leads me to the third principle that I want to talk to you about this morning. And that is this, that as Christians, I actually think we are called to 
radical generosity with our financial and physical resources. That's what we're called to. Remember, this is not about what God wants from you. This is about what God wants for you. We talked about the tithe already, right? That 10% that God wants us to give. That's kind of the minimum historical standard since the book of Genesis, really. All the way to the present day that we would give 10% of the 100% that comes into our lives. But God actually wants to keep bumping that percentage up in our lives. And some of you are like, you can't be serious. And I want you to know, I actually am serious. I think God views the tithe as a minimum. Start there. And then go on a journey of generosity with God. I think that's what God desires for us, that we would learn how to give more, which is why historically we have said that people give tithes and offerings. The offerings are the part of our giving which is above and beyond the 10%. Sometimes there's a missionary that we want to support, and so we give our tithe, the 10% to the church, and then we give an offering. Maybe there's a cause or a program and we invest in that. Maybe there's a, a worthy thing that we see out there and we say, that's, that's something God's doing in the world. And I want to invest in that. And we've given our tithe, but now we're going to give an offering. God wants to create in his people margin in their finances so that we can actually give generously to the purposes and plans of God around the world. Meeting needs, making an impact and expanding the kingdom. This is what God wants from his people. This is what it means to learn to be a generous person. I love what it says in Proverbs 21 uh, and verse 26. This is what it says. This is, how, this is how Proverbs describes righteous people, God's people. Proverbs 21, 26. The righteous give and they do not hold back. I've been reading through the Proverbs uh, this year, just repeatedly. One proverb a day, every day of the month, and then when it's the first of the month, I start over. And I've just been doing that all year long. And I can't underline this verse anymore in my Bible. It's, the pages are going to start bleeding through because I've underlined it so many times. The righteous give and they do not hold back. This is what God desires for us. Now, the Apostle Paul writes to a church in the New Testament. It's the church in the city of Corinth. Now, this church is not like the example of all examples, right? This is not like you should, everybody should want to be like the church in Corinth. This church was a little messed up. They had all kinds of crazy things happening in the midst of their church. They had people who loved Jesus, but they were still trying to figure out how to live righteous lives. And so they would kind of take a step forward and then three steps backwards. And some of you are doing that in your own spiritual journey right now. I just want you to know, even in the New Testament, that happened. Welcome to the journey. Just stay on the journey. Just keep looking at Jesus and walking with him. He's going to keep shaping you. He's going to keep forming you. That's what was happening to the church in Corinth. They actually got two letters from Paul. There may have been more written to the church at Corinth, but they needed a lot of teaching. In the middle of the second letter, Paul writes about giving because the church at Corinth was collecting money to give to God's people who were in Jerusalem. And there were some people in the church who said, can you believe we're going to talk about money this Sunday? All the church wants is my money. 
That's what they said, even in Corinth. They thought that giving was something you were under compulsion to do, that you were required or obligated to give back to God. And so Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9 to teach them that that's not the case at all. Giving is not about what God wants from you. It's about what God wants for you. So he uses an illustration from agriculture to make his point. And he says that if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. But if you learn to sow generously or bountifully, you will also reap generously or bountifully. What is Paul getting at here? Paul is simply saying that if you give generously, God is going to give back to you generous blessings of righteousness, of provision, of guidance, of favor in your life. That's what God promises. And I'm going to talk about why God does that in a minute. But that's where Paul starts. Don't give under compulsion, he says. Don't give out of a sense of obligation. No, decide in your heart what to give and then do it cheerfully. Because when you do, you're practicing something that God desires for you to practice. And when you get down to it, when you're doing what God wants you to do, is there anything better than that? That's what Paul's communicating. Paul gets into it a little bit more. He says, this God that we're giving to, he actually provides seed to the sower and bread for food. What is he getting at? He's simply saying, God owns it all. So when you have seed that you can go out in the field and sow, if you're a farmer, guess where the seed came from? God. And when you take what you've harvested and you turn it into bread and you eat the bread, guess where that bread came from? God. Because he owns it all. He's the creator of it all. He's the giver of it all. So God is the beginning of it all. God gives you seed for sowing. He gives you bread for food. But if you actually take that seed and you sow it generously, guess what happens? You reap generously. He says, God will actually multiply your seed for sowing so that you will have everything that you need. Why? So you can be generous. This is what God wants for you. He actually wants to teach you and develop you to be a generous person. This is what God wants for you. It's not about what he wants from you. He wants you to become generous. And so Paul continues writing in this passage. He says, when you give generously and God blesses you so you can give more and be generous and abound in every good work, God will keep giving you more and you keep giving more. And over and over and over again, you're growing in generosity. It's not give so you can have everything you want. That's health, wealth, and prosperity. And I told you that's heretical and I'm not going to teach that. But I am going to teach the Bible. And God is committed to developing people who will not be reservoirs or containers that hold all of his resources and won't share them with people. God wants to develop instead rivers and channels so that he can give resources and those resources get distributed out into the world to meet needs, to make an impact for good, to expand the kingdom of God. That's what God's looking for among his people, generous people, not people who hold on and hoard, but people who give and are open. That's what God's trying to create among his people. 
He wants you to be generous. And why, why does God want you to be generous? Because he's generous. And he wants you to be like him. He wants you to be like him. That's what he's trying to do in your life. He's just trying to take you and restore inside of you his image, which is the image that he originally created you to be. He's just trying to restore that and make you like him so that when you show up physically in this world, even in the way you manage your money, you look like him. That's what he's trying to do for you because he loves you and nothing makes him more proud than to say, he looks like me. She looks like me. Now, I know that if you have kids, you understand this, but there's just nothing like when they say, they look like you. Right? I mean, I, I'm competitive, so I can't help it. So when I'm around people and they say that my kids look like my wife, I'm like, no, 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 me. <laughs> I mean, my wife is beautiful, and it, it's really okay if they look like her, but I just want them to look like me. I don't understand why that is, but there's something about my image being reflected in them that just makes me proud. And if that's true of me, how much more true is that of our God? We know that this is what Paul's getting at because he ends this teaching in 2 Corinthians 9 by saying, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You want to talk about generosity? You want to talk about giving what you've decided in your heart to give and giving it cheerfully? Let's look at how God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that you and I could be forgiven and redeemed and adopted and transformed and made again to be in the very image of our creator. God is generous and he wants you to be generous. So this is why we give. So, as we come to a close, let me give you two or three things that I think are applications that will help us go on this journey of generosity. First, if you have not yet mastered the art of giving 10%, if you've not yet mastered that spiritual practice, can I just encourage you to give one more percent? I grew up around the ocean, and I've observed this, I don't know, thousands of times in my life where people go to the ocean, and uh, some people are like me because they just know the water is going to be cold. You just got to jump in and get it over with. And so we just run as fast as we can, and we just jump in full force and just get it over with, and that's okay. But then there are other people who walk down to the water and they just drag it out forever, right? Like just one toe and then two toes and three toes. And, and then, you know, like four hours later, they're finally like up to their knees. It's like, just go in. It's going to be fine. Some of you are, are the run headlong and you might be giving 0% today and next Sunday you want to start giving 10% because you realize now that's what God wants from your life. Others of you might be the other way where you just want to put a toe in the water. And, and some pastors might tell you, don't do it that way. Just give 10%. That's what God requires. But I'm willing to tell you, just take a journey over the next year. Just every month, add a percent to that. 
And the reason I'm challenging you with that is because God actually, this is the only command I can find in the scripture where God actually did this. God actually said, test me. You don't believe me? Test me. In Malachi chapter three, he says, bring the tithe into the storehouse and see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you cannot even contain. And then God says, test me in this. Give it a shot. It's almost as if God's saying, I dare you. Or from one of my favorite Christmas movies, the coup de grace. Triple dog dare you. Test me in this, the Lord says. Why would God ask you to test him? Because he wants to help you become generous. This is actually something God wants for you. So he says, just try me. So give one more percent. If you're already given 5%, next week start giving 6% and see how that goes for a month and then add a percent until you're at 10. And maybe just keep on going, keep adding a percent. Right? Give one more percent. Secondly, I would encourage you as an application point to educate yourself. There are lots of great resources out there to help us manage our money more effectively. Financial Peace University as a great example. You can go pick up a book by a Christian author like Dave Ramsey or one of my favorites, Ron Blue, and actually just take those resources into your life, read them, learn them, understand them. You might, you might try out a budgeting app like YNAB, which stands for You Need a Budget. Yes, you do. You need a budget. You might try out an app like that, or, or there are plenty of them on the market, but I would encourage you, educate yourself and start improving the way that you manage your money. It's part of your Christian journey. And then thirdly, I want to encourage some of you in the room to consider giving beyond the 10%. Some of you in this room have extra resources. You've got money that you've saved up. You sold a property and you just put the money in the bank. You weren't sure what to do with it. Maybe you came into some money that you weren't planning, an extra job that you got or a little bit of extra income or maybe you got an inheritance and you've got money that's just sitting there and it's not really reserved for anything particular and it's, it's just there in the bank. And all, I'm not asking you to give a certain amount. I don't have a project to lay in front of you today. All I'm simply saying is, would you take those resources which belong to God even the extra ones, they belong to God too. And just put them before God and say, God, what do you want me to do with these? And all I want you to do is just listen. And if God says, I want you to take this little bit here and give it to this, I want you to take this little bit and support this missionary or give to this cause or help this thing get started or find a project at church and invest in it. Whatever God tells you to do, I just want you to do that. Because if you do that, you're going to be right where you need to be. I want to encourage you to manage your money well. Get to that 10% mark. Learn how to become generous. Why? Because God wants you to be generous. And why does God want you to be generous? Because he wants you to be like him. So as we come to a close this morning, I want to take your attention off of your pocketbook and your wallet. Because we're actually not here to focus on those things. We're here to focus on God. So I want to just bring you back to Paul's verse. 
thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Would you just take a moment and think about the fact that God gave his son so you could be redeemed? He didn't hold back. He gave his only son so you could be redeemed. And when we come to communion every month, one of the reasons we come to communion is to be thankful in our hearts. In fact, one of the words that we use for communion down through the ages is the word Eucharist. It literally means thanksgiving. When I was a little kid going to church, I didn't think communion was about Thanksgiving or being happy in any way. It kind of seemed like a funeral. It was kind of very somber and very reserved. But in reality, when we come to the table of the Lord, we are coming with joy in our hearts because God saved us. And we get to eat the bread and we get to drink the cup to remember Jesus' body was broken and his blood was spilled so we could be forgiven and we could be saved and redeemed. So we come to the table of the Lord today, not somber. We come with joy because our God was generous on our behalf. So if you are here this morning, you should have gotten a little cup when you came in. And I didn't get one, so I need an usher to help me out here and bring one up here for me. So, Brian, could you bring me one, sir? Thank you. And if you haven't gotten a cup, would you just raise your hand? And our ushers are ready. They're going to wait on you. Thank you, sir. If you're at home, you can grab the elements and make sure that you're prepared uh, to service. What I want you to do is take this cup and hold it in your hand before we do anything with it. We just want to pray to the Lord and consecrate these elements. We got one more with a hand up right here in this back row, a couple here, so. Anybody else need one? If you do, raise your hand, we wanna get you one. Oh, we got one up here too. Brian, right up here on stage. I want you to hold this cup in your hand. For those of you who are at home, I want you to actually just take the elements right in front of you and let's consecrate these elements to the Lord in prayer. God, we come before you right now. We're so grateful. We're so thankful for your generosity towards us. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that we could know you, so that we could be redeemed and reconciled and changed and adopted into your family. God, we are grateful today. We come to the table not with somberness. We, we come to the table today not down in any way. We come to the table with joy and thanksgiving and praise because of who you are and what you've done for us. So we simply pray, God, that you would consecrate these elements now, make them holy and sacred, infuse them with real grace for our lives today so that we can continue to become everything you want us to be. We pray these things remembering that Jesus himself on the night he was betrayed gathered with his disciples and he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them and said, take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. And after they'd finished eating in the same manner, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples saying, drink this, this is my blood poured out for you. God, we remember that today as we come to the table. And we again ask God that you would consecrate these elements and make them holy for these moments that we spend together. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now on the top of this cup, there's a tab. There's actually two tabs, so make sure you pull off the top one first, the one that's clear. That will reveal the wafer. And I want you just to take that wafer in your hands and just remember, Jesus' body was willingly broken for you so that you could be made whole. So when you eat this this morning, do it with thanksgiving in your heart and be grateful for what Jesus has done for you. Let's eat together. Now I want to encourage you to peel that second tab off and that will reveal the cup. And as you hold this cup in your hand, I just want to remind you, Jesus let his blood be spilled so that we could be forgiven. All the wrong things in our life would just be covered over and made white and clean and pure and holy again in his sight. White as snow, the scriptures say. White as snow. We've got a lot to be thankful for today. So as you drink this cup today, be thankful for the blood of Jesus, which cleanses us from our sins. Let's drink together. God, you're so, so good to us. So good. We praise you today. We praise the name of our God, our generous God, our good God, our giving God. Lord, let your grace do its work in us to make us like you. And we're going to give you the thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing together this morning.